turn to Colossians 3, and uh, we get the, I get the joy and the privilege of speaking on submission this morning. Aren't you glad you came to hear about submission? But I noticed Alicia just got up and she's leaving. That's all right, Alicia. John's the one that emailed me about this anyway, so uh, no, um, I, 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 I kid people and say this is, this is ugly on my face, not stupid, so we're going to we're going to deal with Colossians 3.18, really through 4.1. It's one chunk. And I think when we oftentimes, when we think about submission, we think about submission entirely with regards, unfortunately, to a wife. And the world has uh, abused this. Uh, men have abused this. And I think what we'll see today is, is the beauty of what Paul says here. Because there's the theme that unifies this entire section of Scripture. And again, all of this is in the context of a new identity in Christ. It's in the context of a heavenly mindset. It is in the context of us being renewed into the image of our Creator. It's also specifically, and I think this is very, very important that we are reminded of this, it's also in the context of Colossians 3.16. And we saw last week, Colossians 3.16 says, Let the word of God richly dwell within you, with all wisdom. We've said before, Colossians and Ephesians really mirror each other in a lot of ways. And in Ephesians, what you see here is a mirror of Ephesians 5. And we looked last week. Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That word filled there means controlled. And we said the point is this, whatever fills you influences you. If you are full of alcohol and you start to drive and you're arrested, you are charged with driving under the influence. You are driving while under the influence of the alcohol. And, and what he's saying here, the parallel, what Paul is saying in both passages is this. What ought to be the singular influencer of our lives, what ought to be the tr- controlling influence of our lives is the Word of God. Paul equates the effects that alcohol would have on you to the effects that the Word would have on you if you were full of the Word, if it richly dwelt Within you, whatever indwells you controls you. Is what that's the point he's making. Literally, the word of God would begin to control you. And in both in Ephesians five and in what we're going to see today, this is the evidence. In large part, this is the evidence of a spirit filled. This is the evidence of a believer where the word of God richly dwells within them. I think the worst thing we could do is to leave here and, and think. This is, this is on our own effort. We're going to go home and do this. You won't. It wasn't meant to. This is, again, this is Christ in us. This is evidence of a spirit-filled, of a, of a, Bibli- of a Bible-filled believer. In both Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, the context, even in Ephesians 5, 20, 22 and, and through about 33, he's talking about husbands and wives, and then in chapter 6 he goes into kids. It's a mirrored passage. It is evidence of a spirit-filled, word-filled believer. 
And the challenge when we come to these passages is the world and people who want to deny these passages, they'll run to uh, Colossians 3.11 and they'll say, no, there's neither, there's neither Jew nor Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised. You know, we're all one in Christ. So, you know, so all the distinctions are, have, been res- have been annihilated. And that's simply not true. In the go- within the gospel, that is true, but there still are roles. In, in, in Ephesians 5, he says the, in Ephesians 5, verse 21, Paul does the same thing. He gives an overarching thesis statement. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Same thing he says, same thing he says here in verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do in the name of Jesus, giving thanks. Our unity... Our solidarity in Christ did not absolve distinctions between male and female, between children and parent. And both of these are true. Yes, there is no distinction, but yet there are still roles to be played. There are still roles for the sake of order. Listen, Jesus himself was equal to the Father, and yet he did what? He submitted himself to the Father. This is not about inequality. It's not about any of the garbage out there that the world tries to pollute and and assault these passages with. That's not at all what Paul is saying. This is about unity. This is about God's design. And and both of those principles are clearly Christian. Yes, we we are one in Christ. And yet, wives, you submit to husbands. Guess what? Husbands, you submit to Christ. Children, you submit to your parents. Slaves, employees, you submit to your employers. It doesn't absolve those. And the problem is, we, we rather than being, we, what happens is, especially modern day, we become real suspicious of these passages because they don't fit with culture. They never will. What Paul wrote didn't fit with culture when he first penned it. Certainly not going to fit today. But that doesn't mean these passages are wrong. And, and rather than being suspicious of the writers, I think we need to be suspicious of our own interpretive skills and our own biases and our own worldliness and worldly-mindedness when we come to these passages. Because we want these passages designed to jive with culture instead of conforming our lives to these passages. We can't come to the Word and try to make it, uh, uh, contort it and distort it and get it to jive with culture. No, we were supposed to submit our lives to the Word, not vice versa. And and what Paul wrote is true. And we, we can't interpret these based on our culture. We can't interpret these based on our circumstance. We can't allow culture to dictate how we read and interpret the Bible. There, there, are, there are some principles, there are skills, there are, there are ways that you interpret it. And, and listen, all of us are in danger of reading the Bible and distorting it based so that it fits what we want it to say or what we need it to say. I, I mean, that's why, again, we've said it. Th- this is not meant to be a, a, a Bible answer guide where we, we just go to it with questions in the sense of, listen, because if, 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 if you have an end in mind, I promise you, you can find a verse in here that says just about whatever you want it to say. You'll find a verse. Or you'll distort a verse to get it to say what you want it to say. 
versus coming in submission. And we must interpret these passages in an authentic New Testament interpretation that is consistent with other books. We can't just simply override it or skip it because it doesn't fit with our wisdom. I mean, we are one in Christ. Nobody's arguing that, but that does not eradicate distinction between male and female. It doesn't eradicate roles. And, and, and think through this. Think through this. You who have children, are, do you expect them to submit to you? Yeah, you do. So let me ask you this question. Why would it only be good? Why would it still be true for children, but it's no longer true for wives? Why would it still be true for children, but it's no longer true for men and Christ? It doesn't work. Yeah, he, we're one in Christ, but there are still distinctions in the sense of roles. And, and every single one of us who are in Christ are, are required to submit. And Christianity didn't destroy the need for children to obey their parents, and it didn't destroy the call for wives to submit to their husbands, and it didn't destroy, just because we're free in Christ, that did not destroy the need for husbands to submit themselves to Christ. Submission runs through the entire gauntlet here. And, and again, what we see here, it, this, this is sourced in, in the Word of God, again, richly Filling us, controlling us. You know, are, are, that, that's where it starts. This is literally a work of the Spirit uh, uh, through the power of the Word of God. It's a work that He's doing in us. It's not up to me. It's Him. I, I certainly have a responsibility where I come to the Word daily and, and fill myself up with the Word of God. And the Spirit begins to control me. It takes control of me. Whatever fills me controls me. I begin to put on the, the mind of Christ, if you will, in that sense. My fundamental identity, again, is a Christian, is a Christ follower, but it does not dis eliminate all the distinctions within a physical family. And again, what we're going to see and what I want us to show us today and how this is all linked together is what ties it all together is the Lordship of Christ. It's submission to the Lordship of Christ. It's submission to His rule and reign over our lives. It's submission to His glory over our glory. It's submission to making much of His name over making much of our name. This is, again, go back to the beginning in, or in verse 2. Set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on this earth. This is a heavenly mindset. New identity in Christ, glory of God, unity, power. So the main point you see there on your handout, the main point I want us to see as we get through these verses today is a believer's confession of Jesus Christ as Lord is expressed. It's expressed. Another word there could be manifested, if you will, in our daily lives and roles. And these roles are to be lived out to His glory as an expression of thanksgiving and worship. Again, in the context, what did we see last week? We talked about thanksgiving, and we talked about worship. Our entire lives are meant to be lived out in thanksgiving and an, and an aspect of worship. That's, again, Romans 12, 2. It is your reasonable response to the gospel, 
to offer your entire body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Our literal, our entire existence as a believer is to be, meant, is to be spent in worship and praise of our one true God. That, and that's really what worship is. Not, not relegated to the five songs that Daniel sings on Sunday mornings. Our entire lives are to be expressed as in gratitude and worship, even our submission, as we'll see today. And again, this is about connecting everything, not to be redundant, but connecting everything to the gospel. To connecting everything to who we are in Christ. And look, in every single verse, almost every single verse, look at verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Verse 22, slaves, in all things obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who are merely pleasing men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, and with, do your work heartily as for the Lord. Verse 24, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward. It is the Lord whom you serve. Go to verse 4.1. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. You see the theme? The, the theme in all of these verses, it's talking about the glory of God. This is submission to ultimately to the lordship of Christ. This is pointing back to the sufficiency, to the supremacy, to the greatness, to the unrivaled nature. It is yielding your entire life to the glory of God. And immediately in verse 18, Paul connects the wife's submission with her worship. With her submission not, to, not only to her husband, but ultimately he says, you're submitting to the Lord. It's an offering to the Lord. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. The, the, word here, the word here, subject, it literally means, you see it on a handout, it means to voluntarily subject yourself. To voluntarily subject yourself. It, it is always used in the sense of someone subjecting themselves to an authority. It has nothing to do with worth or value. Again, Christ was equal to the Father, and yet He voluntarily submitted Himself to the will of His Father. And if you, if it's the same thing, again, if you go to Ephesians 5, 21, again, I said, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. And then Paul gives examples of what that looks like. And he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so wives ought to be subject to their husbands in everything. He is pointing back to lordship. He's pointing back to the, to the filling of the Holy Spirit. And, and again, Jesus Christ is your ultimate head. Wives, when you submit to your husbands, ultimately what you're doing is you are submitting to Christ. Christ is seen as the central object of worship and even submission. And it's huge because in that day, the male would have held that position. And Paul is breaking the code of that day that was male-dominated, and he replaces the ultimate subject of a wife's submission. He, he replaces the husband with Christ. Ultimately, wife, when you submit to your husband, you are ultimately subjecting yourself to Christ. 
That, that's the overarching truth that you see as the next fill-in. Ultimately, it is Christ whom you're serving when you submit yourself. Everything about this passage is Christ-centered. It's putting Christ first. It is, it is glorifying Jesus through everything we do. And ultimately, ultimately, when we subject ourselves to those authorities that God has put over us, we are ultimately subjecting ourselves to Him. Even in Romans chapter 13, with regards to government, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. Listen to this. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Verse 2, therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So when I submit myself to the leaders who are over me, who am I ultimately submitting myself to? To God. No matter who that authority is. And, and you see it on your handout. A wife who does not submit to her husband is refusing to submit to the Lordship of Christ. Ultimately, it is the Lord who you are refusing to serve. It's exactly what we saw in Romans 13. It's exactly what we see here. Rebellion, again, rebellion toward your husband, rebellion toward his leadership. Again, and, and obviously there are limits. Paul, we can deal with that later, but the, up to the point where they, command, they ask you to do something that is contrary to the word. Paul in Ephesians 5.22 says, in everything. Assuming that up until that point, Christ is supreme. And, and he has designed the home in a specific way. And, and again, as long as that husband doesn't command anything outside of what the Lord commands, submission is the appropriate response. And again, Christ is the center. This is about him and his glory, even, even a wife's submission to her husband. Look at verse 19 and 20, even and 21 rather. Even a husband's role is connected to Christ and his Christ-centered. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. And what Paul says here is completely contrary to the codes or the social norms of that day. The culture of that day was very husband-centered, the rights of the husband. Paul does not talk about the rights of the husband. Paul focused on the duties of the husband, the responsibilities of the husband. And again, even those were centered upon Christ. Others focused. If you go to Ephesians 5.25, Paul further explains, what does it mean to love your wife? Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, what did Christ ultimately do for his bride? He died for her. He died for her. We take our cues from Him. Husbands, give yourself up for your wives. Why? So that you might sanctify her. That you might cleanse her. That you would help present you to, your, to, to Christ His bride in all her glory, having no sprout or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she'd be holy and blameless. That's part. You're your leader. You're the leader, husband. It's real easy to come down on the wives and think submission is only for the wives. You know where it starts? It starts with me. My household, I, I'm the thermostat. 
As the leader, I'm the thermostat. You know what a thermostat does? A thermostat controls and dictates the temperature. You know what my wife is? My wife's a thermometer. You know what a thermometer does? A thermometer reveals the temperature. You can tell a lot about a wife by the. Uh, you can tell a lot about a husband's leadership about the by the countenance of a wife. You know what the temperature of the house is? You look at a thermometer. That'll tell you what the thermostat reads. Husbands, submission. Husbands chasing after the Lord with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Husbands setting the bar. Husbands leading. Goes way beyond just bringing at home a paycheck. Way beyond just putting a roof over their head. Way, way beyond putting clothes on their back. This is about being the spiritual leader of your home. This is about, about giving an example, dying, dying for your family. Why? That Christ would be glorified. And ultimately, why are you doing that? You're doing that out of submission to a Savior who died for you. And what we see here is that, again, you see it on your handout, Christ is preeminent even in this passage as Christ defines the way a husband loves his wife. Husbands, you're submitting to Christ. And, and, and we don't catch it in our text, but, but they would have understood this well because those who knew the Old Testament would have understood this well. If you were to track if you were to do a word study on the use of bitterness in the Bible, you would see an overarching sense that bitterness is regularly connected to a refusal to worship God. Again, you see the connection? Husbands, your job, your role is to, to lead your family to a worship of Christ. And your leading of your wife your dying for your wife is an expression of worship ultimately to Christ. To fail to do that is a refusal to worship Christ as Savior and Lord. This is worship. How I lead my home as a husband, how you lead your home as a husband is an act of worship of Christ. And I would say the same thing I said about wives. I think Paul says this. Husbands who are bitter and unloving to their wives are actually refusing to worship God and acknowledge His Lordship. It's a refusal. And again, all of this is about being spirit-filled. All of this comes down from being word-filled. Again, verse 20. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Ultimately, a child's obedience, it's worship. It's worship. A child obeying their, obeying their parents, it's an act of worship. It's an act of submission, ultimately, in worship of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Again, Paul attaches it to lordship. The, the why behind a child's obedience is that it pleases the Lord. The, the word here literally means pleasant, or acceptable. It's pointing to worship. It's pointing to a glorification of the Lord. And again, he says everything. And in that day, a family, a parent's primary responsibility, the primary responsibility in that day was not sports. It wasn't education. It wasn't that their parent, their kids would be cool. It wasn't that they would fit in. No, no. It was to teach the word of God. Go to Deuteronomy 4. Go to Deuteronomy 6. That why Paul, that's why Paul says in everything, my, my number one responsibility as a parent is to raise up a child to the best of my ability that loves the Lord. 
that sees Christ as supreme. That's my number one responsibility. It's not sports. It's not an education. It's not any of this other stuff. It's the Word of God. It's to teach them to obey the Lord in everything. And how do I teach them that? Through obeying their mother and father in everything. Through setting the example. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Father, can you say that? Dads, can you say that? If your kids follow your example, where's it going to lead them? Moms, can you say that? You're teaching your daughters. If they follow your example, where's it going to lead them? If your kids grow up and marry somebody like you, where's it going to lead them? If your kids grow up to, to you know, marry dads, moms, I ask that same question. If they grow up to marry someone like you, where's it going to lead them? What are you teaching them? The primary responsibility, and Paul is saying here, it's to lead them to the Lord. It's to point them to Christ. And, and this is what Paul is pointing to in verse 21. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. The word there uh, it, it, over in Ephesians, it says, do not provoke your children. The word there means to make somebody resentful or bitter. Again, you see bitter, a refusal to worship. Do not, through your own life, cause them to walk away for God or to have less than right thoughts about God through the way that you lead your home and through the way you love them. Again, rebellion is at the heart here. Do not lead your children into rebellion against the Lord. Do not lead them in a way that they become disheartened, that they turn away from serving the Lord, that they would seek to not try to please the Lord in everything. That is my number one responsibility as a parent. And Bradley and I were having this conversation. I went to the neighbor's house the other day to get him, and, and I knocked on the door, and he comes out and says, Bradley, we have to go. And he immediately runs off with about 15 questions. About, and I said, Bradley, it's time to go. And we walked over, and I just put my arm around him. I said, Bradley, listen, you need to learn to obey authority. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to be rude. I, I apologize to my children regularly. I'm not perfect. But listen, I don't want him to grow up thinking that it's his right or prerogative to question authority. He's to obey authority. He's to obey authority because that is his way of worshiping. Up to the point that I have caused him to overstep the bounds of the word or transgress the word, he's to obey his parents in everything. We can discuss it, but listen, if there's a spirit about that. And we grow up with that spirit, and we, the same spirit. Here's what I don't want him to grow up. I don't want him to take that same spirit where he comes to God in the Word, and he's, he's looking for ways to get out of that. No, no, I come in complete submission to the Word of God. And that's what I want him to understand about authority, because ultimately God is his authority. And parents, again, parents, you see it in your handout, they're called to lead their children to joyful submission to the Lord through their obedience as disobeying our parents. A, a child who disobeys his parents is a refusal to acknowledge Christ's lordship. This is not inconsequential. My son or daughter's disobedience is not inconsequential. Ultimately, it is a refusal. It's rebellion. It's a refusal to worship the Lord. And, and, and Paul goes on in verse 22 
Even slaves were called to submit their mas- to their masters as ultimately to the Lord. And, and, and listen, as soon as, as soon as we read these passages, slave, slavery is a, is a huge embarrassment, not only to this nation, but to the church. It's to our discredit on both sides. In some ways, there was not further distance from slavery, even as the church. And Colossians 3.11, Galatians 3.28 make it clear there's no distinction. What Paul does here, again, is redefines, you see it on your handout, Paul redefines the identity of the slave. And he's saying, look, your true master is not your earthly master. Paul is not, listen carefully, Paul is not endorsing slavery here. Slavery clearly goes against every tenet of the Bible, but it was a huge part of that culture. In many ways, listen, it was very different from the slavery that we know of in America. Very different. In many many regards, these that were called slaves, they were considered members of the family. Fathers would give their children, look at Galatians 4, fathers would give their children to their slaves and those slaves would raise their children up to the point where they were ready to take over the father's business. It was very different. I'm not saying it was right. I'm saying it was different. But for whatever reason, again, Paul doesn't attack the institution of slavery, but ultimately he attaches it to submission to Christ. But listen to what Paul does do. You have to be very careful to read this. You have to be very careful to catch this. What Paul does do is affirm the slave's inheritance in Christ. What Paul does do is affirm the slave's status as a child of God. What Paul does do is affirm the slave's status as the family of God. What he does do is affirm that there's a Savior who's looking out for you and his Lord overall. What Paul does do over here in verse chapter 4.1 is command their masters to treat them with justice and equity. There's not an endorsement here as much as there's a redefinition. It was a part of culture. And all of this was built upon the new humanity as us as the people of God. And all of it pointed back to Christ and His Lordship. Again, do not miss the, the power of this message. If you take... 317, whatever you do in word or deed, do it in the name of Lord Jesus. Go down to 323, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men. Go over to 412. Epaphras, who is one of your number, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. Listen, what Paul is doing here is he's calling on all believers to take on this self-understanding and submit to the lordship of Christ as a slave would submit to his master in everything. You and I as believers, listen, we are slaves to Christ. We're slaves. We've been bought with a price. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, Or do you not know that you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your bodies. As a Christian, you are not your own, Paul says. You have been bought with a price. You're owned. All throughout Scripture, Paul uses the term bond slave. You're owned. And Paul elevates an understanding of all believers to see themselves as slaves to Christ. Where obedience is not optional. Obedience is not, it's not, it's not when it's only comfortable. Obedience is not when it only jives with what I think. 
I mean, Karen and I were talking about this, and I was talking with some others. You know, when Karen and I agree, when, when, I, when, when we say, hey, we're going to do this, and Karen totally agrees, and it's exactly what she would have done, and all that, and she says, yeah, let's do it. You know what that is? That's called agreement. That's not submission. Submission is when she doesn't agree with me, when she doesn't really understand what we're doing, and she voluntarily subjects herself to that and follows. That's submission. You see the point? We're really good at following people that we agree with. And who are we ultimately worshiping? Worshiping ourselves. And I don't have to understand. Take that to the Lord. I don't have to understand everything fully. I don't fully, I said it two weeks ago, not to rip scabs off the wound and bring up bad words, but I don't, I don't fully submit, understand how God can be sovereign and yet man can be responsible. I don't fully understand that, but both are here. It's not my job to understand it. I mean, it is kind of. It's my job to submit to it as much as I can. I don't only submit to the passages that make sense to me or that I like or that I fully understand. I don't say, you know what, let me figure that out and then I'll submit. No, I'm going to submit to it. That's submission. That, that's, that's what it means to have someone over you whose name is Lord. Lord. Total, 100% submission to our Savior. That's, what, that's the bar. 100% submission as a slave. As a slave, we are slaves of Christ. And, and that's what he says, that again, we are to submit ourselves as slaves to Christ. Verse 24, knowing, listen, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Ultimately, no matter, no matter if you're a father, a parent, a mother, a slave, a master, ultimately, ultimately, listen, your work is done unto the Lord. Ultimately, it is the Christ who is your master. And no matter what you're doing, you see it on your handout, it is to be done as worship to the glory of God, showing Christ as supreme. And think about that. Is that, let me ask you a question, is that, how, is that how your role as a husband or wife, is that how you handle your role as husband, wife, or child? Are you doing it with the objective that Christ would be supreme? Are you doing it as an act of worship? Are you doing it as an act of thanksgiving, grateful to have a spouse, grateful to be alive, grateful to have parents who love you, Are you doing it in an act of worship? Again, all of this is rooted in what we saw last week of thanksgiving and, and worship. And, and thanksgiving is the, is the expression that, that grace has come from another, that somebody else has done something for you that you could not do on your own. That's thanksgiving. That's thankfulness. Are you thankful, believer, that you've been transferred from the domain of darkness into the, a kingdom of glorious, marvelous light? Are you, are you thankful that, that you were, when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, that Christ made you alive with Him, having forgiven you all of your transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of degrees against you, which was hostile, and He has taken it out of the way, and He's nailed it to the cross? Are you thankful for that? 
And when he disarmed the, the rulers and the authorities and he made a public display of them and he triumphed over them through him, are you thankful for that? You know, Paul is saying, then submit to him. The real expression of thankfulness for what the Savior has done is living to his glory. It's living to his praise. That's the real, you can say you're thankful, but if you're not living to his praise, you're not thankful. Not to the degree to what we're called. And, and again, you're, you see it on your handout, you're fulfilling your role as commanded by Scripture. Listen, it's an act of worship. It's not meaningless. Me leading my family as a husband, as a father, is an act of worship. Karen, all she does as a wife, which is beyond me, how she gets everything done, that she, and it just puts up with me as a husband. Let's be honest. Y'all know. I mean, what literally y'all know about me, you're like, pray for Karen. Absolutely. Pray for Karen. But it's an act of worship. My son and daughter, they need to be taught that obedience to their parents and to their teachers and those who are in authority over them is an act of worship. Ultimately, it's to the Lord. When Bradley and Sarah Grace grow up, and if they get a job or whatever, they're, they're fulfilling that job as an employee or an employer is an act of worship to declare the greatness of their Savior. And what we see in the entirety of these verses and in their context is that worship is, des is designed, it's defined in terms of our entire, the fill-in is entire, entire existence. Whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do is an act of worship, do it as unto the Lord. It is ultimately our Father who we serve. Down to our role as husbands and wives and even children. Christ Jesus, listen, is Lord of our entire existence. Every area of our lives is in submission to His Lordship. Every area. And, and again, that's what we said we were declaring through thankfulness and gladness. When, when a believer is, it, it speaks to the world, what? That I have, a, I have a master that I joyfully and gladfully submit my life to. No matter what, I trust him. What Paul is saying is every detail of our life is to point to Christ as our true object of worship. Every single detail, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Verse 25, For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. James 2.1, God is not partial. Oh, but God, I did that. I did, no, no, dude. Did you do this? Did you live every aspect of your life to the glory of God? Paul is offering us concrete ways that we can give thanks as believers and that we can worship our great God as believers. And, and not to offer these in that sense is, is a refusal to submit to the Lordship of Christ. 
And it's that lordship that is the basis. It's Christ's glory that is the basis of everything that we do. And, and what we have to see is that the, our lives as believers are steward, stewardships. We're stewards. We're to take everything that God has given us and, and give it over to His glory. And listen to 2 Corinthians, I think it's 5.10. Yeah. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Every single one of us are going to give an account. Believers, the Bema Seat Judgment, you're going to give an account on how you stewarded your salvation. Non-believers, great white throne judgment. Eternal damnation, eternal hell. What did you do with Christ? You rejected Him. Hell. I'm not trying to be mean about that. I'm not trying to be crude. That's just the reality. But believers, even though it, just because you're a believer, you don't get a pass on the glory of God. How do you steward your life as a believer? Even 1 Corinthians 3, he says, for those who build their lives on wood, hay, and stubble, things destined to perish, it says your whole life will be burned up. Yet you will be saved, yet as with the smell of smoke. Your whole life burned up. Even as believers, we don't get a pass on, on stewarding and living to the glory of God. It's not, oh, I've got my fire insurance, now I can go live however I want to live. That's not Christianity. Christianity is recognizing the greatness of our salvation, the greatness of our forgiveness, the awesomeness of our Lord, and in reasonable response to that, offering our entire existence to the one who gave himself up for us. It's offering everything I do to His glory. And that's what sanctification is. Sanctification is learning to do that. And, and, but that's worship. And, and ultimately, the mindset that every single one of us in here has to have is this, that we are all servants of the Lord. You are a servant of the Lord. That is the, what the entirety of this section is pointing to. You too have a master in heaven. Every single thing is done to service to the Lord, done to His glory. The why behind all of it is the glory of God, that Christ is Lord over all. And the issue, again, is authority. Will we submit to Christ's authority based upon the Word and based upon His, glo based upon His glory? Will we allow Christ's Lordship to affect and legislate and have jurisdiction over every area of our lives? Because ultimately, again, Christ is Lord. And again, a theme of this section, you'll see it there, is the truth that Christ is Lord. And that His Lordship guides every single thing about our lives. Again, back to, back to Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Live to His glory. Christ's glory is the banner under which everything else in our lives is to be understood. His glory. Everything is unto the Lord. From my role as a father, to your role as a father, to your role as a mother, to your role as a parent, to your role as a child, to your role as an employee, to your role as an employer, everything is done to the glory of God. Do whatever you do heartily as unto the Lord. That's the point. That's the point. 